Welcome to Today in Space. That's right. Welcome, everybody, to Today in Space. This is your entertainment show about space, the final frontier, and what's up today for us on Earth, in orbit, and in outer space. Before we start, I just want to say thank you to our regular listeners and any new fans. Really welcome. We're really glad to have you. And if you like what we do here on Today in Space, please tell a friend or pass it on to someone else. Keep spreading the science. And thank you for subscribing. If you're new to the podcast or you don't know how to subscribe, just go to the What the Hell is a Podcast page on todayinspace.net. You'll get a beginner's guide to podcasting and directions on how to subscribe on the iPhone, Android, or any computer or laptop. Just follow the instructions to click the buttons to get subscribed. It's free, hopefully easy to use, and it helps get the show uh, into more ears. On this week's episode, we're going to be doing a weekly update. So, you know, what is a weekly update? I'm going to be bringing you the outer space news from on Earth, in orbit, and in outer space. All the things I've found from scouring the internet all week. I've also put together another lightning round for the end of the episode, so that'll be out on our SoundCloud account later tonight. It'll also be in the link for this show. And what else? Well, what are we going to talk about this week? We're going to be talking about the Reboot the Suit campaign. We're going to be talking about the UK's plan for their own space agency. There's a blue moon this Friday. Is it blue? You'll find out. Uh, Some space junk that was en route to the ISS learn what happened to that this week, and there'll, of course, be another Pluto update. At the end of this episode, we're going to have the lightning round for what's going to be this week's real main main topic, where do spacecraft go to die? So you'll learn a little bit about that, and you'll get a nice mix from me that I came up with the last week or so. Um, really trying to do this more often and get a little more music under my fingers, Um, as we move towards the next project with Today in Space Studios. Um, The most recent one, of course, Pluto the Misunderstood, available on a whole shitload of uh, digital music stores and on our store on the website as well. Um, If you don't have the money to uh, pay for a song, that's okay. You can stream it, either on YouTube, SoundCloud, or on Spotify. So if you get any of those, you can still help us out with that. Really appreciate all of that. And without further ado, let's get on with the episode. This week on Earth. First up, we're going to talk about the Kickstarter campaign called Reboot the Suit, Bring Back Neil Armstrong's Spacesuit. The campaign, which was in partnership with the Smithsonian, aimed to give the citizens of Earth a chance to conserve, digitize, and display Neil Armstrong's Apollo 11 spacesuit for explorers everywhere. Now, first off, some of you might be thinking, why does the, why does the Smithsonian, it's really hard to say, why does the Smithsonian need me? Well, according to the Reboot the Suit Kickstarter page, isn't the Smithsonian federally funded? Good question. Federal appropriations provide the foundation of the Smithsonian's operating budget and support core functions, such as building operations and maintenance, research, and safeguarding the collections. Projects like Reboot the Suit aren't covered by the federal appropriations, which means we can only undertake them if we can fund them somehow, some other way. 
In other words, we won't be able to do this project without the participation of Kickstarter backers. Hey, I, I like I like the um, you know the you know we have this product in mind. We don't have the money for it, but here's a chance if people really want it that they can put it in. It's a great way to hopefully get around the you know the federal appropriations thing. Is that okay? This is the money that's spent doing all this stuff. You know, we, we've it's kind of been a running theme the last month or so on the show. You know, you can't just give money to NASA. You know, they're appropriated uh, the funds from our tax money, and it goes to doing certain projects. So this is a great way. Um, if there's any super serious space geeks out there, or people who just love, I mean, Apollo 11. We've talked about it last week. It was the 46th anniversary of the week. It's definitely a really, really um, memorable thing for a lot of people, not only in America, but around the world. Now, a little bit of searching online, you'll find, you know, according to CNN, uh, the 46 years since Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon have not lessened the sense of wonder of that moment. But the decades have deteriorated Armstrong's iconic spacesuit, which for years has been locked away in climate-controlled storage. So that's... Good to know that at least, you know, they were trying to, to keep it in a place where it would last, but after 46 years, you know, even a climate-controlled storage unit isn't going to keep this thing from deteriorating. So, the Smithsonian now, or at least at the time this article was written, um, well, next, let's go to how much, you know, what did they raise? What did the Reboot the Suit campaign raise? Well, it raised over $500,000 from over 7,000 backers. So, the I mean, the numbers this morning were uh, 7,421 backers and $571,277. So, I mean, that's incredible. Um, they got the money they needed, and they can now preserve um, Neil Armstrong's suit and, um, you know, even more, you know, start a whole... Um, an exhibit that's going to show the you know the progression of spacesuit technology and and cover you know the Cold War and, and the space race, give it that kind of feel to it, which will be great, um, you know. And now the Smithsonian hopes to raise more than seven hundred thousand dollars, so less than two hundred thousand more from what they have already to preserve the suit worn in nineteen sixty one by Alan Shepard, which, in case you don't know, was the first American in space. Now, according to entrepreneur.com, the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum wants to put the spacesuit on display in time for the 50th anniversary, which would be four years away, 2019, um, of the Apollo mission in 2019. Wow, I'm just way ahead of myself. Uh, and then incorporate it into a new permanent exhibit in 2021. The money raised in the Reboot the Suit campaign will be used to prevent further deterioration of the suit and build a special display case. Uh, it will also be used to create a digital 3D model of the suit. So that way, hopefully, it'll be preserved in, digitally for as long as we can do that. Um, the Smithsonian also laid out their stretch goals. And, you know, if, what they're going to try and do is get to the next cornerstone of $700,000, which we mentioned already. And if you're new to Kickstarter, just what a stretch goal is in this case, basically, they're laying out a plan of what the Smithsonian will do with the money in preserving more, in, in this case, 
the Smithsonian plans to tell the story of the first American in space, Alan Shepard. We plan to conserve, digitize, and display the Mercury suit Shepard wore during the first American's manned spaceflight in 1961. Along with Armstrong's suit, Shepard's and many other suits planned for display in the new gallery will show the progression of spacesuit technology during the space race era. So, something brand new for the Air and Space Museum. If you haven't been, I had a chance to go uh, back in June, uh, you know, a little bit older, so maybe I could, you know, uh, understand kind of what I was looking at a little more. I also got to see uh, the New Horizons exhibit and um, the the rover, the Mars rovers exhibit that are brand new to the planetary side. Uh, It's all great out there, and this will be really cool to add in uh, as another segment. I, I would definitely... If, if you're ever in the area, you ever make a trip, go down there, man. It's really cool. It's, it's the Smithsonian, which I found out you can just go in. You know, you don't have to pay for it. I had no idea. I thought we had to pay for tickets. Sarah looked at me like I was crazy. But uh, that's, hey, that's how it is. Uh, you learn something new <laughs> every place you go. Next, we're going to talk about this Friday. There's going to be a blue moon. So what is a blue moon, right? You know, I mean, we've had eclipses where the moon kind of turns red, the blood moon, right? The blood moon. You know, but does this blue moon really turn blue? The answer is no, unfortunately. It's uh, it's an old term, um, kind of dating back uh, since before the internet. So, <laughs> uh, no, it's a really old term. Um, you know, the whole basis behind it was that, you know, there's 12 fully lit full moons every year, Right. And so in a season, there's three months that should then, you know, have three full moons. Um, And there's a really great, uh, before I go on, there's a really great infographic from space.com. It's on the Facebook page, and you'll probably find it on the internet somewhere. But back to my original point, Um, (laughs) there are times when there's four full moons in that three-month season, right, instead of three. And so the third full moon is traditionally called the blue moon. So um, this happens like every 2.7 years, according to this infographic. Um, it's kind of cool. It's really, it happens a lot, actually, when you think about it, uh, especially in a decade. That's, that's a good amount of times. So, you know, sometimes two full moons will fall within the same month, and some people call that second one a blue moon. But... That's not really right anyways. So (laughs) you'll hear it thrown around. Um, The right meaning is that the third full moon uh, of the four full moon seasons is a blue moon. It's weird. I know. I just thought you'd you'd like to know. So this Friday, weather's good. Everything's uh, clear in the sky. Get outside and look up. Check out the full moon or the blue moon that won't be blue. Next, the UK enters the ESA, European Space Agency, with their first UK-backed astronaut and their plans for their involvement in space. UK Space Agency has recently released the National Strategy for Space Environments and Human Spaceflight. This 16-page document outlines a strategy for how the UK plans to pursue exploring space with robots and humans. The plans outline a range of disciplines, you know, both technical, scientific, 
It explains how the UK Space Agency will work in the environment of space with fundamental physics, novel materials, and uh, healthcare technologies. And of course, it explains the vision for how the UK will do it for human spaceflight. Uh, I printed out the 16-page document, you know, the contents inside, you know, the glossary, I guess. Uh, it, there's vision, goals, delivery, governance, British people in their words, just make it up like we do, um, and then two annexes, which I'm guessing is the same thing as our appendix or index, but the two include the definitions and backgrounds and a list of stakeholders. So first, what is the vision? You know, the, the big picture, the big hairy goal for the UK's space agency in the coming future. It's hopefully, you know, what this whole strategy is planned on. The vision. The UK will be a recognized and valued participant in human spaceflight and space environments research, in low Earth orbit, on analog platforms, and in deep space exploration. Advancing scientific knowledge and technological capabilities as a pathway to growth will positively augment the UK economy and provide measurable societal benefits in sectors such as healthcare, communications, and education. Sounds pretty official, you know, uh, it's a good, seems like a good goal. Um, you know, and there's just a few more things I'll, I'll touch on in here. Um, definitely worth a read if you're really interested. But it's, a, it's just a great day for uh, the UK's space agency program and just the UK in general. This will be their first real go at it. So this is a first, their first generation of um, space uh, science, really anything like that, and getting involved. So congratulations, UK. You guys, you guys are in the game. All right, so in the introduction, um, you know, a few things I'll point out. You know, it says the, the path towards the achievement of the vision begins with space analog and orbital platforms, expands human presence into the solar system, and ultimately leads to human missions on the surface of Mars or other solar systems, planets, moons, or asteroids. Uh, you know, the first step focus uh, on utilizing the ISS, expanding the synergies between human and robotic missions, so, you know, humans and robots working together, and pursuing discovery-driven missions in the lunar vicinity, that will help to develop capabilities and techniques needed to go further, as described in the Global Exploration Roadmap. Now, I'm not sure, I could be wrong, but um, if, you know, we, we heard about uh, Johann Dietrich Werner from uh, the last episode, the new head of the ESA, and it's that's in tandem with uh, how he saw uh, the European Space Agency going forward. So it's really cool. Uh, Tim Peake, um, T-I-M-P-E-A-K-E, -E, a former British Army helicopter pilot was selected from thousands of applicants from across Europe to join the ESA Astronaut Corps in 2009. His first mission was announced in May of 2013, and he will be on the ISS for a six-month mission commencing November 2015. He'll be the first UK government-backed British astronaut, the first British astronaut to visit the ISS, and a very visible demonstration of UK ambition for human spaceflight. Of course, the focus is to inspire people, especially the young, into science. So that's really cool. Uh, you know, it's it's good to see um, they seem to have their priorities straight. Um, you know, but of course, the next thing is, all right, how do you get that done? Because it's it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. 
It doesn't just grow on trees. You can't just say, we're going to start one. Gosh, damn it, we're going to start one. You know, there's got to be money. There's got to be a plan to get there so <laughs> this can actually happen. You know, you can't just throw a plan in there and be like, ah, we'll do it. So they had three options in here. So I'll, I'll only read the last one because it seems, from the way they wrote it, uh, this is where they're going to go. Uh, and it says the contrib contribution to ESA's ISS utilization program is currently the only viable and cost-effective route to ensure UK involvement in spaceflight. So, I mean, you heard it yourself. It's leaning pretty hard to option three here. Um, although Tim Peake was selected to join the ESA astronaut corps before the UK had any formal involvement in the ISS, I totally read that wrong, without the subsequent investment, he would have remained simply an ESA astronaut with no UK backing and no option for the UK to make use of his flight, either by delivering science and technology or through inspiring children and the public with a tailored education program. Tailored meaning, I'm guessing, for the UK and not just the EU or Europe in general. Um, you know, promote that there's, a, there's an Englishman in space on the ISS, you know. And just a few more things. Um, their plan is to use a ship called the Skylon, right? S-K-Y-L-O-N. And the Skylon is a British company-built single-stage-to-orbit space plane that will use a Sabre propulsion system. So the Sabre, uh, or Sabre, uh, is a combined-cycle air-breathing rocket which could be reusable up to 200 flights. It basically looks like the X-Men plane, so... I mean, that fits. Uh, and a little more on Tim Peake. You know, he was elected for the ESA Astronaut Corps in 2009 and was picked for a 2015 mission in 2013. Um, he spent 18 years in aviation and seems like a pretty interesting person, you know, as pretty much every astronaut <laughs> that you, you ever see or hear from seems like, you know. Uh, the few hundreds of humans to, to go into space, you know, they, they got to be pretty interesting fucking people. <laughs> um... But yeah, that, that just about does it. Congratulations to the UK uh, for, for stepping forward, getting more involved into um, their, their human space flight, sending their own people, uh, and bringing that science back to their own country um, so they can make themselves better. I think it's awesome. Congratulations. This week, in orbit... First, late Saturday night, the International Space Station had to move out of the way because a piece of satellite debris was en route to hit it, putting the astronauts and the flying space lab apartment in jeopardy. Um, they managed to successfully boost everything out of the way. The astronauts were fine, and it's actually put them ahead of schedule for um, these burns that happen uh, throughout the year that keeps the International Space Station in a complete orbit because, as uh, you might be aware, orbits decay over time. So that's why you got to bring fuel with you if you're orbiting because orbiting is not perfect. you got to boost yourself. So I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but either way, everyone is safe and at the very least they're a little ahead of schedule um, of using some fuel to get themselves in orbit. So, hey, what are you going to do? Um, some more things, uh, Commander Gennady Padalka and one-year crew member Mikhail Kornienko, both cosmonauts, 
Uh, they're getting ready for their August 10th spacewalk. They'll be doing a bunch of things, one of them including looking at how the Russian side of the International Space Station is holding up. If you want to find out more about this, uh, go to blogs.nasa.gov and find the article also in this episode's link on todayinspace.net. Last Sunday, on July 19th, uh, an asteroid with an estimated $5 trillion worth of platinum zipped right by Earth. Uh, It was about 1.5 miles away, and scientists had a chance to take a look at it using... um, was it radar, I believe? Uh, something something of that nature. Radio waves. Um, and uh, there's actually a good look of it. Uh, the link will be up on the podcast page. But uh, it's definitely a different way to look at asteroids. Instead of, you know, hey, oh my god, it's going to hit us. You know, the end is near. All that, you know, crap. Um, think of it as, hey, you know, asteroids uh, got $5 trillion of platinum. I like that. Let's go get it. Let's go, let's go grab that sucker. You know? And... and Strangely enough, we're actually heading towards that. And it was not the first person to think about that. Um, think about it. Five trillion dollars. You get one of those asteroids and you're a trillionaire. You'll pay for your entire trip up there, all the R&D, all the research, the science that you paid. You will get a return. And some. Because that's just five trillion dollars of platinum as it's worth today. Imagine bringing that in and having a stockpile of platinum. That's good pickings. From the deep dark of the third zone, here is this week's Pluto update. Pluto! Honestly, there's really just too much to simply just read off here, so I'm going to give you the highlights, and uh, the links uh, are all going to be on the podcast page, and on some podcast apps, right in the details about the show, you can find all these links and actually do it on your phone. So check it out. First, new maps of Pluto and Charon have come out that show each region color-coded. It also has the unofficial names that the New Horizons team picked before they even made it to Pluto. Some names on the maps, you know, Tombaugh Reggio, of course, Challenger, Coles, Columbia Coles in honor of those lost in the shuttle disasters. There's the Soyuz Coles, Pandemonium, Dorsa, Cousteau, Roops, uh, all these are, I'm guessing, Latin names, but uh, I'll explain them in a second here. Um, the Balrog Macula, um, there's also, on Karen, there's the Vulcan Planum, the Uhura Crater, the Kirk Crater, the Spock Crater, for, you know, of course, Star Trek, and there's also a Star Wars one, there's the Vader Crater, of course, um, and finally, there's the Mordor Macula. Okay, so some of those, uh, <laughs> weird words, or how they're naming these things, um, Cavus, Deep Sided Depression, Chasm, a chasma is a chasm, of course. Uh, the coals are small knobs or hills. Dorsa is a ridge. Uh, fossa is a long, narrow depression. Linea, elongated marking. Macula, the dark spot. Um, Mons, mountain. Montez, mountains. Planum, a plateau or high plain. Regio is a large, bright, or dark region like the heart on Pluto. And uh, Terra, which is an extensive landmass, and Vallis, which is a valley. There you go. Still have no idea what language it is, but uh, my guess is it's the dead language Latin. It's definitely well worth a look. Uh, Go check it out. 
Next, we also got this fantastic view of Pluto as New Horizons went past Pluto on its flyby. In fact, as Alan Stern mentioned, you could only get this image by going to Pluto and looking back. So basically, if we went there to orbit, we would never have gotten this great image of a backlit Pluto, the rays from the sun reflecting through a halo-like atmosphere. We're now learning more about what is actually in the atmosphere, never mind that it really does have one. Uh, and the first detections show that there are actually two layers. Uh, and finally, of course, don't forget to check out Pluto the Misunderstood. You actually heard uh, a loop of it just now underneath the Pluto update for this week. You know, both John Mitchell and myself, John Mitchell being the, you know, the reoccurring guest who's been on the show, talked about music and movies, um, we both made this song, you know, and we had a great time putting it together. We really did it. And it was our first single, too. And we want you to have it. You know, you can get it on Amazon MP3, Google Play, Xbox Music, iTunes, and other digital music stores for just 99 cents. Or, or, you can stream it online uh, on Spotify, YouTube, or SoundCloud. So really, you, you can have it however you want, but, you know... Take a listen or two, and if you can, purchase the song wherever you like. It helps support my music, John's music, and, you know, it'll make, <laughs> it'll hopefully start to make this a living for myself, <laughs> so I could do this way more and have crazier, crazier stuff happen on the show to bring to you guys, because remember, this is free. <laughs> so anything from a purchase to a play helps. If you go to todayinspace.net slash home, or the homepage of the website. You'll find all the links for all of those options. I uh, just wanted to make it as easy as possible for everybody. You know, anything helps. Thank you once again, and enjoy. So that'll just about end the show. We'll do the lightning round here. Uh, as soon as finish up, just, I just wanted to talk, you know, face-to-face, -face, me and you. You know, how's it going? You know, how, how, how you doing? You, you working out? Getting... Pumping up, trying to get healthy. Are you at work? You know, trying to get that thing done, but you're just you're doing an all-nighter, <laughs> working real hard, and the podcast helps you work. You stay motivated. Awesome. How's it going? Are you in the car, driving to work, driving someplace, going to see somebody? You know, I hope uh, I hope your week's going well. I just wanted to say, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Keep driving forward. Keep trying to do things that you that will make you better. Um, you know. If you have any goals, write them down, man. Write them down. It makes it so much easier. I know it sounds stupid, even if it's in your phone. Just write them down. Don't use your brain space to keep all that stuff inside. You know, just a little motivation just to get you going through the week. You know, we've all we've all got our own stuff going on. And the best thing you can keep doing is keep striving forward. I mean, shit, you never know what's gonna happen from day to day. You really don't. I mean, let's put it this way. What this week. This week on, like, Sunday, I literally didn't know what I was going to do for the show this week. You know, we've gone into the weekly format, and it's, it's, a, it's putting me in this new, uncomfortable mode. You know, and that's okay. That's a good thing, actually. It's good to get uncomfortable from time to time. You know, it helps you, it helps you grow. It helps you learn. You know, but literally Sunday, I was sitting there like, shit, I don't know what I'm going to talk about this week. But I let it go. I said, you know what? I'm going to find it. It's okay. You know, I, I'll, you know, take Sunday off, take, take the day off, relax. 
Um, I'd done some music, you know, and just the next day, like that, I pretty much filled up the entire show, you know, and it all came out the next day. It's crazy, you know, if you just, if you keep putting out that energy that you're going to do something good, that you're just keeping yourself not stressed, keeping yourself relaxed and on point, that's, stuff will happen. Stuff will happen for you. Just keep trucking forward um, and, and, and things will work out for you. Just don't let the struggle beat you down. It's always another day. Every day starts zero zero, new game. You're good. You're good. Every day is a new opportunity. So go out and get it. Do what you love to do and just have fun. Just have fun. From somebody who's doing it right now, have fun with your life. All right? Don't waste it. That's enough. <laughs> just just want to send some positivity your way because God knows there's way too much crap out there. But anyways, thank you guys for listening. Um, it's, been, it's been a hell of a summer. Um, I'm now gearing back to uh, start looking for a day job again. So um, don't worry. The show will stay weekly. Um, just uh, it's the next step, trying to figure out how to do it the best way uh, with the new stuff that I'm, I'm going to be given, you know, the job search, you know, I mean, anyone who's been doing it knows the struggle, but hey, you keep your head up and you keep going for it. Um, but enough about the motivational talk. Um, again, thank you for listening. I uh, love doing the show for you guys every week. Um, we got the lightning round coming up here. Um, but before that, uh, and before we learn about where spacecraft go to die, which is pretty cool, um, you know, tell someone about me. Tell your friends about me. Um, so, you know, spread spread the word of the show. You know, um, we've had we've got brand new listeners every week. Um, the show is really taking on its life of its own. Um, tell one friend about it. Um, you know, spread love, spread science. Just uh, just trying to get that message out there. And uh, if you haven't already subscribed, what else? I really think that's about it. Um, just have a great week, everybody. Uh, remember, Friday, blue moon. Uh, not blue, but still a full moon. Good thing. Look up. And uh, keep questioning things, people. Um, keep questioning. It's all right. Spread love. Spread science. Enjoy your week. And here is the lightning round. Welcome to the lightning round for July 30th, 2015. Where spacecraft go to die.
miles away from any land and in the middle of the South Pacific Ocean. The story goes that they found Point Nemo after looking for a place that was the farthest away from any landmass. Named after the submarine sailor in Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, it also goes by the name of the Oceanic Pole of Inaccessibility. Apparently, if you happen to be passing Point Nemo at the right time, you would be closer to the International Space Station and all the astronauts on board than any other human on Earth. That's almost 249 miles upward. Thank you for listening.